kicking off a brand new series today uh, called Winning the War in Your Mind. Um, the heart behind this was to just kind of take some time to address uh, some real issues going on in our culture today uh, and really just in our, in our lives, which is um, kind of the, the rise of mental illness and emotional health in terms of the importance, in terms of what we place value on as a culture and as a society. Uh, and for us, just to let you know, for us, we understand, like we're, we're, we're paying attention just like you're paying attention, okay? This, is, this has been a, a crazy couple of years, not just because of the pandemic, but how people have responded to the pandemic, how things have changed because of the pandemic. And quite honestly, we're, it might be decades, okay, before we see the full results, before we actually can quantify all that, that this season that we've been walking through, uh, the effect it's having on people. The reality is, is that we already know some things, okay? We know that people, it just seems like there's, a, there's, an, there's, a, there's an escalation of anger. There's an escalation of people's anger and frustration that seems to be more public, more visible, whether it's online and videos and conversations with customer service, it doesn't matter. Um, there just seems to be an escalation uh, to it. There also seems to be a rising amount of anxiety and fear and worry and depression uh, happening in our society. And I, we don't have any statistics on that other than we know the cases are, are going up. Um, and uh, that's not the cases that you see about on the news. It's the cases that we know about through just seeing all the work that psychologists and, psycho uh, and counselors are doing uh, right now through this season. Um, it's really a strange statistics, but it's very sad. Um, uh, suicides are actually a little bit down through the pandemic years. It's actually a little bit lower, but, but in certain age ranges, especially younger kids and teenagers, the percentages are actually going up. Matter of fact, they said last year, um, between the age of 10 and 14, it went up 13% suicides in that age range. And we know that just this week, tragically, a, a kid up, up in Mooresville at the high school took his life one morning, going to school and took his life. Um, and very, very tragic. I want to pray for that family. But um, we know this is a big deal. Like, we know this is an issue, all right? Most people have basically said, we are all now less than, hear the words, less than one degree, less than one relationship away from ourselves having to deal with some form of mental illness or emotional health issues, all right? Less than one means definitely you probably have at least one. And if you don't have one, your next relationship's gonna be one. I can just promise you that, okay? If you don't have one, the next relationship is, okay? The next friend you make, the next relationship is gonna be there. That's just because, that's again, that's just the way it is. So as, as a church, we wanna be able to lean into the conversation, but we also wanna do it uniquely from the perspective that only we have, which is what is our role, right? The role of faith, in our understanding of mental illness and emotional health, what role does it play? We'll talk a little bit about the role it has played, maybe in the past, but what role does it actually play uh, now? Let me give you a few statistics. These are just a few things to kind of be aware of and know. This is from the Mental Health uh, Institute, uh, National Institute of Mental Health. Just defining mental illness, it refers to a wide range of mental health conditions, right? A mental, tons of disorders and conditions that affect your mood, thinking, and behavior. Okay, keep going. Many people have mental health concerns from time to time, but they become a mental illness when ongoing signs and symptoms cause frequent stress and affect your ability 
to function. This is how the mental institute or National Institute of Mental Health kind of defines uh, mental illness, and we'll talk a little bit more next week about how we define emotional uh, health and emotional there. There's seven, uh, if you look, go look on their website, there are seven primary categories. I'll give you a few stats on it. Seven primary categories of mental disorders. Um, mood disorders, which include depression and anxiety issues and di- uh, bipolar and some sort of mania. Um, believe it or not, one in five, one in five adults at some point has experienced uh, medication for depression. And that was, that, these are numbers before the pandemic, okay? Anxiety disorders, specifically in terms of uh, OCD, that's considered an anxiety disorder, uh, the panic attacks, things like that. 40 million people, over 40 million actually, uh, are diagnosed with having some sort of anxiety uh, disorder. However, only 36% of those people seek treatment right now. Personality disorders, that's kind of autism and spectrum uh, disorders there. Um, there's lots of things that, that kind of encompass that. There's dementia and psychotic disorders, which are similar to personality disorders, but, um, but they take on a different form uh, physically and mentally and emotionally. There's eating disorders, which about a case of about 5 million plus. Uh, there's trauma-related disorders. That's about seven and a half, almost seven to eight million. Um, that's like PTSD would be a great way of, experience, of understanding what a trauma-related uh, disorder is. And then there's substance abuse disorders, which we also know through the pandemic has been rising. Okay? Substance abuse uh, disorders has been rising since 2016, even before the pandemic. And I've sh- if you've been around, I've shared this with you before, and this is one of the reasons I, I share it, is just so you get an idea of why is this so hard to talk about? Why is this even for you sometimes difficult to, uh, to kind of step into or wade into with close friends, close family members who may be struggling with mental illness or, uh, or emotional health? Here's why. Let me just give you kind of the scale. I call this the scale and scope of complexity, okay? The scale and scope of complexity. There are times in which these things happen because of circumstances and because of experience, Okay? Could be circumstances. Could be that. Could be COVID. Could be COVID related. Could be the job market. It could be inflation. It could be the economy. It could be your lost jobs. It could be some circumstances. Uh, divorces happen. You know, like the things that happen that cause anxiety, depression, fear. You know, again, experiences. That's where PTSD comes through. That's where people with arrested development come through when they've had traumatic experiences in their past and their childhood. Sometimes that will bring about emotional issues, emotional health issues bring about mental illness. There's also, uh, go to the next slide, personality and predisposition. There are personality disorders and personality styles that kind of lean you in one way or the other, whether it's not just extrovert or introvert, but ways in which you kind of see the world and process things, right? How you were raised. It's very difficult to, to, to have a house full of warriors and then, you know, some kid just comes up in that environment just, you know, carefree as a lark. That doesn't usually happen, right? That doesn't usually happen because there's a predisposition sometimes to some of the things you may experience, again, which kind of combines with circumstantial and experiential, but it's also personal, and there's also a predisposition as well. Next, it can be a physical or chemical imbalance. It can be physical issues. You can go through a heart issue, a, a, a very serious illness, cancer. There's lots of things that begin to mess with your body. There's lots of organs in your body that can shut down. I don't know if you, how much you know about the thyroid, but it's a big deal. Right? I don't even know that. Like it's a it's a big deal in terms of an organ how it affects you in every area of your life. 
There are chemical imbalances. There are hormone imbalances. And there's lots of ways in which these imbalances can address, can show up in your life in terms of emotional health and mental illness, which is, makes it very difficult <laughs> to self-diagnose, right? So not only do you not really know where you land, go to the last slide, not only do you not know, you not know where you land, how do you expect anybody else to know where you land, right? How do you expect anyone else to be able to speak into this, into your life, when it's even difficult for you? Because sometimes it's a mixture of things. Very rarely is it one thing, you know, oh, I just have an anxiety you know, disorder. I just have, I just struggle from depression. Well, sometimes there's something circumstantial. Sometimes it's experiential in their past. Sometimes it's things that are just now coming to light. Sometimes it's chemical imbalances. You know, there's all sorts of ways in which things can, can show up, which makes it again, very complex. Okay, which makes it hard for a guy like me, or even for you, especially a guy like me having to come here and talk about it, to give you some sort of rubber stamp, you know, one size fits all solution to how we as Christians in our faith understand and deal with mental illness and emotional trauma and emotional health. It's impossible. Everybody with me? Nod your head if you're with me. Yeah, good. So I'm not going to preach on it, I'm going to change the subject. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can't do it. Sorry, I'm going to do something else. All right. Let me go ahead and just tell you one of the benefits of, of, of our culture and sort of the modern time right now. I, I think one of the benefits of leaning into this is, is I'm happy that we're raising awareness. The more aware we've become, the more, and you have opinions about this, but the, the awareness at least is trying to remove the stigma, it's trying to remove the shame. It's trying to remove this idea that mental illness is a problem, but physical illness is normal. Everybody with me, right? You got to remove the shame. You got to remove the illness. And that people that need treatment are getting treatment now. And that's a good thing. Just hear me say it. Like awareness is one of the best things that's coming about having these conversations. One of the worst things I'm seeing coming up because of these conversations is resignation. Resignation comes in the form of just resigning with a false agreement that this is as good as things you're going to get. That this is who I am now. This is the way things are now. This is the way, th this is all that they can be. There's a resignation that this is now my, this is what defines me. This is now what limits me. This is now core to who I am. And that's, that's a problem. It's probably the worst thing that's come. Especially when it comes to how people not only self-understand and view it, as Christians, how they themselves are treating their mental illness or emotional health, or how the church has sort of responded, and other Christians, right? Because sometimes it's viewed only as a physical, mental, or emotional health problem, right? Well, it's a chemical imbalance, and there's some fantastic pills that you can take, right? There's some great exercises that a therapist can give you to kind of work through your anxiety, to work through your depression. It's physical. You need to go take a walk, right? Go take a walk outside. You'll feel better. Have you ever, nod your head if you've even heard that, right? Like, it's only physical. It's only mental. It's only emotional. It's only this. And they sort of remove sort of where your faith interacts with it. However, Christians and the church have also <laughs> made the mistake and resignation that it's only a spiritual issue. 
right? Well, you just don't have enough faith. Why are you so worried? Why do you have anxiety? Do you not love Jesus? Right? Do you not love God? Are you, why are you depressed? Don't you know God loves you? You, you hear him laughing, right? Like, like, like uh, churches have done this. Churches have, have just, because it's so complicated, sort of resigned to, well, it's just a spiritual issue. But then we've also resigned to sometimes, well, it's not a spiritual issue at all. Our faith doesn't even affect it. It's just, it's just physical. It's just mental. It's just emotional. Here's the reality. They're not mutually exclusive at all. They're, they're not. They're as complex as the scale and scope I just showed you. But I actually believe that regardless of whether or not you deal with depressing circumstances or you have some propensity or chemical imbalance that moves you to a depressive state and a mental illness, you all have the same battle, and the battle happens in your mind. Hear me say it. It's not me saying, oh, it's just in your mind, to not hear me say that. Hear me say that there's a battle, there's a war, there's a war raging in our minds of how we're going to view and see and deal with very real issues, very complex issues with mental illness and emotional health. Uh, today, I want to give you basically an example. And uh, when I run across things, just to let you know, I'll run across a visual example, I'll run across a message, I'll run across some things. Uh, And sometimes God just reveals to me, like, it just becomes so helpful for me. It just becomes so helpful for me that I kind of tuck it away and I put it aside. And at some point I know, you know what, this is so helpful, I want to be able to share this with you at some point. Whenever God sort of opens that door, whatever it seems right. And, and, and this was one of those moments where about a year ago, a little bit longer than a year ago, and then about six months ago, a book came out around this theme and idea and an illustration I'm going to give you this morning. The book is called, Don't Give an Enemy a Seat at Your Table. Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. By Louis Giglio, he's a pastor uh, in uh, Atlanta right now. He's led some youth organizations for the last 20, 30 years. But this this illustration in this book, I'm going to kind of contextualize it. It's not going to be the same, but I'm just telling you so that you know where it comes from, and I want you to know you should go read this book, okay? If, if, this, if this is helpful to you, I want you to read this as well, all right? It comes from um, a take in terms of understanding the war in our mind, and it uses as a, as a, as a foundation David's psalm, Psalm 23, okay? We're going to walk through pieces of the psalm today, and then I want to be able to share some of the example with you in terms of how it it kind of comes down and contextualizes within this conversation of how we view our faith and our role of our faith in mental illness and emotional health. Let's start with Psalm 23. Let's just start there, all right? Many of you guys know it. You may know the King James Version. You may know the version that was quilted on a pillow you know, in your grandma's house or a blanket, maybe on a wall somewhere. It's very famous, read a lot of funerals and other things, you know. You may know it. I'll throw you a few things every once in a while, especially translation-wise. But it starts this way. The Lord is, read the words out loud, the two words. The Lord is my shepherd. This is David. You know David's story? He was a, he was a shepherd. And this is just how he sees God. This is a way in which sometimes he relates and he says, you know what? 
The Lord is my shepherd, and I have all that I need. One translation says, I lack nothing. I love that one. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, what's the word? Yeah, we all know that one, right? <laughs> I shall not want. I have all that I need. David is setting up the premise of the Psalms to really be addressing people who are believers, okay? Who are Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian in the room today, doesn't mean you can't listen, doesn't mean you can't listen in, doesn't mean you can't uh, benefit from what we're talking about, but the reality is, is that the premise comes out and the foundation starts with that this is going to be talking about some of the things that are dealing directly with the relationship of him and his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I shall not want. I lack nothing. I have all that I need. Keep going. He lets me uh, rest in green meadows. There's other versions. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I like that passage better sometimes because I like the idea that God has to make me lay down in green pastures. Left to my dumb, stupid self, I won't even know to lay down in green pastures. Y'all with me? That he, he, he has to make me. He lets me rest. I don't know who needs rest today, but that's a beautiful invitation. He lets me rest, and he leads me beside peaceful streams. He guides me in the right ways to go. Keep going. He renews my strength. He restores my soul. There's a renewal and a restoration that happens because he's my shepherd, because of this relationship, because of the benefits of being a part of it. He guides me along right paths. He gives me guidance and leadership, bringing honor to his name. You may have learned it for his name's sake. And what it basically means is all this amazing stuff happens to me because of my shepherd and all the things, the, the resting and the restoration and the guidance and the provision. And as we're going to see in a minute, the protection comes from my shepherd. But it's not because I'm awesome. It's because he's awesome. Everybody with me? It's because he's awesome. Like he, David wants us to know. All this comes because who God is. And he says this. Again, following with this, this beautiful visual, even when I walk through the dark valley of death, you may have heard of the valley of the shadow of death. It's just a description of the shadow of death, meaning that there's a history there. There's a, there's a reason to believe the probability is there. I will not be afraid for you are, what's that word? You, you are close beside me. I love that phrase. You are with me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. The idea that there was a rod and a staff, one was for leading and one was for defense, right? One was for the poking and the prodding and the, and the direction and one was for the bear and the lion. One, one was for de defense and protection. And then he says, you prepare a feast for me other versions say a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table for me. You prepare a feast in my life in the presence of my enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, if I would have written this, um, just in our sort of modern church worship culture, I would have rather told people, that, you know, God prepares this feast for me in his presence, right? 
where it's all, it's, it's like his presence. It's like fantastic. There's a babbling brook nearby. Like I keep all the, the good things, the green meadows and the streams and the babbling brook and the, and the waterfall in the distance. My happy place. This is where he prepares this beautiful table and this beautiful feast for me. But see, David, David was a, was a best, at best bipolar, um, honestly. Talk about someone with emotional and mental health issues. We'll talk more about that in the next few weeks. David, who at one moment tells God that the darkness is a closer friend to him than he is, in another moment says, oh, you're my shepherd. I lack nothing. Anybody ever feel like they go to extremes like that? Yeah? Well, David, even in his extremes, lives in, rooted in the reality of the fact that, no, my life, my, my existence, where I even have a relationship with God exists in the presence of my enemies, in, my, in, the, time, in, the, in the trouble, in, in the valley of the shadow of death that we're walking through, even in those moments, he's prepared this table for me. Now, I'm going to give you the visual now. I'm going to come down. Hopefully, you may as well be able to see. If you can't see, I'll do my best to turn around. Uh, but this is the visual, okay? This is the visual of the table that, that God has, has prepared and set for you and for me, okay? This is the table. I don't know what your table looked like. Mine has bacon on it, all right? This is the table. This is the table set before me. And when I think about this, especially when it comes to, uh, to David's words, I think about a couple things, and then I'll give you guys the, the, your part, your role in the illustration, okay? I think about the words of Paul, the words that Paul says. That I don't like these words. I just want you to know this ahead of time. I don't like them. But when I read verses like this, like David's saying it, and I see it echoed time and time and time again in Scripture, I remember the, the words that Paul said to the church in Corinth. And he said these words. He says, you know, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not, what's the word? Yeah, we're not crushed. It's all around me, but I'm not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We can be hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but not destroyed. That's what it feels like right in this picture, in this relationship, that God has invited you and me to a table with him to enjoy him in the midst of trouble, enemies, problems, struggles. You guys are all my enemies right now. Don't even smile at me. You're all my enemies, okay? You guys are all trouble. Your trouble I didn't ask for, right? Your betrayal from close friends, you're the prognosis I didn't want. You're the diagnosis I didn't want. You know? You're the circumstance that's crushing me. You're the anxiety. You're the depression. You're the reason for my sorrow. You guys, all of you, that's who you are. And yet God has prepared this, this table for me to just sit down and, oh man, I love this. This is amazing. Look at that orange juice. I love orange juice. Get me some orange juice. You know, I got cake over there. It's probably not going to be fattening either because God made it. <laughs> it's going to be great. You think, you know? Yeah. I mean, look at this. I got this bananas. I love bananas. If I had to cho choose any fruit, uh, 
Bananas is definitely one of them. It is good to share. I'm going to get to that, Dan. I'm, I'm going to get some of mine first, though. All right. Here it is. That's good. You got a table just like this. I want you to know that. Your table might be different. I might eat a few more pastries than you. It's okay. I got emotional problems. Your table might look a little bit different. But I just want you to hear this before I go on. You've been invited to a feast in your life of a relationship with your shepherd that you and I really don't take advantage of. We really don't ever take the time to sit down and enjoy this moment and enjoy this beautiful feast that he gave us. Most of the time, because our eyes are so, so fixed on our problems and they're so fixed on our issues and they're so fixed on our trouble that we miss the table. Everybody with me? We miss the table. Mm. Now, the table, in the midst of problems, in the midst of my depression, in the midst of my anxiety, is not the only thing I have to worry about. Because we're told, we're told by the Word of God that there is an accuser, there is an adversary to you and to our life. There is an enemy. Peter described it this way. He said, I want you to stand guard. I want you to watch out. He wasn't saying don't enjoy the table. He wasn't saying don't engage in this beautiful relationship. But he says, I want you to be aware, right? Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He just prowls around looking for opportunities, right? And, the, and listen, even Jesus says, when he's talking about the shepherd, he's talking about himself, he's talking about the shepherd, he's talking about life, he's talking about all the things that are good. Even Jesus says, look, the enemy comes, he has one purpose, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the enemy's job. And he doesn't bother. Look, he just steals a chair. He just takes whatever's there, whatever's available. He steals a chair, and he doesn't come at you and come at me the way we sometimes think spiritual battle works. He doesn't grab this and go, you know what? I'm going to shove this right in your throat right now. I'm going to choke you to death with this carrot, which would choke someone to death. He doesn't do that. And yet, for some reason, we are convinced that it has to look like that in order for it to be a spiritual attack. That it has to look that sort of aggressive and face, you know, face on, sort of to be spiritually attacking us. But that's not actually how the enemy comes. The enemy comes and sits down and says, hey, how are you? You look good. You lose weight? Yeah. What do you have? Mind if I get on some of this? Yeah. How you doing? Good. Good. How's uh, how's she treating you right now? She's still getting on you? Mm. Yeah. I understand. You know what? It's her mother's fault. Yeah. Her and her mom are always talking. Yep, 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 yep. Hey, good for you, man. I would have bolted like a long time ago. Good for you for sticking in there. Can I get some of this? Hang on. All right. How about work? Is your boss still a jerk? Yeah. Well, you're doing good. How about 
How about your anxiety? Still acting up? Yeah? No. That's, hey, listen. You know, you're only one person. You just got to do what you got to do, man. I totally, you know, I get it. Pull the shades down. Go back to bed. I know it's a bad day. It's okay. It's all right. It's fine. You just call them in. The church, they got about an hour. They can find somebody else to do kids ministry. It's fine. Don't worry about that. You're good. I'm here for you. I just want you to know that. And before you know it, our eyes are taking off of our shepherd. And we're engaging in this conversation and we're talking about our lives with someone who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. Because the purpose never changes. The strategy changes. But the purpose of our enemy never changes. He wants to steal your attention away from your great shepherd who provided this feast for you. He wants to kill the desire in your heart to please your king. He wants to steal the glory away from the one who made this feast for you. He wants to fuel your anxiety. He wants to validate your fears. And he will come and position himself as an ally at your table. This is where the premise of this book, you know, came from, is this idea, don't give him a seat. So I'm going to just give you four quick ways that you can know, four things you might be hearing to know that there's the enemy at your table right now, okay? Just so that you can hear this. There's four things that he might be saying to you as you sit here. You might be hearing this. You know what? It's better at another table. You know what? That table over there, they don't have near the problems you have. That table over there, no hassles, no worries, more money. You know, if you just, it's your family, it's your job, it's your crisis, it's all this that you're right in the middle of. You know what? Just eject out of this and go over there. Just eject out of this family, just eject out of this job where God placed you. Eject out of that and go over there because there's a better table and it's better over at that table. There's empty promises made. Another thing you'll hear, you're going to hear is that you're not going to make it. Why am I not going to make it? Well, because I have the feast. I'm sitting here, but my depression and my anxiety and my emotional struggle and the arrested development that took place because of trauma in my childhood, all the things that are in my life that are still here, they're still surrounding me, are all that I can feel. They're all that I can concentrate on. I know I, know I have this feast in front of me. I know I'm, I've got this shepherd, but all I, it's just everything I can do. And the enemy wants to whisper and validate and, and confirm and affirm everything I'm thinking and feeling that's around me. And I'm going to say, I'll sit here, but I'm not, no, I really don't know if I'm going to make it. Because that's what I hear him saying. Another thing he'll say is, you're not enough. And as a matter of fact, when it comes to mental illness and physical illnesses, he's going to try to convince you that you're broken. You know that? He's going to try to convince you that you're broken and you can't be fixed. And that at best, 
you're going to manage this for the rest of your life. Because you're not enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough in you to do what God wants you to do. The other one is everyone's against you. And you are. You're all against me right now. Everybody. You know? You know what posture you take when you feel like the, 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 the everyone's against you? Is the posture that you hear from so many people. Well, I got to look out for me. You know? I got to look out for number one. I'm just doing the best I can. I'm just, I got, you know, I got to be true to my inner true self voice, self, me. I got, you know, why? Because no one else is looking out after me. No one else is going to be there for me. I've experienced brokenness and betrayal and loss and sorrow of relationships, and no one else is going to be there. Matter of fact, I'm almost convinced that everyone in some way, shape, and form is against me. And then there's one that's not on the screen, but as I was praying this past week, it just it grieved my heart because there's a lie that the enemy, especially when it comes to this topic, that the enemy wants you to believe. And the problem is, is that the statement is true, but it's a twisted truth. He wants to look at you in the midst of your brokenness, and he wants to say, you know, he could heal you if he wanted to. Which, guys, is a true statement. It's a true statement. You know, he could heal you if he wanted to. He'd get rid of all of us if he really loved you. You guys see it? And he'll take a statement of truth, and he will use it to wedge between you and your shepherd, you and your king, you and your savior, to continue to steal his glory, to continue to keep you not experiencing the fullness of God. So what do we do at the table? And let me go through this fairly quickly because I don't want to stay here all day, but Paul told the Ephesians this. And this is a part where he talked about uh, the armor of God. He said this, a final word, I want you to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Okay, keep going. Put on all God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies, Right? No matter what, listen, you can, you can reject the first thing that's said, but he'll prowl around and find another way in, right? He doesn't need much. He just needs a, a crevice, you know? He just needs a, a little window. He just needs a spot to worm his way in to your mind and the way you think about your problems and the way you think about your life. He just needs a small sort of foothold. So Paul's like, you're going to stand guard you got to be aware of all the strategies that he's going to use. Keep going. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. And this is probably the part where I see people struggling the most is that they've, they've resigned their autoimmune problem, their, their depression, their cancer, their, 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 their anxiety disorder, their PTSD, they've resigned all of these things as just a flesh and blood problem. And so they're only looking for flesh and blood answers. 
I need a pill to solve it. I need this to deal with it. I need this tool to address it, to navigate it. Don't hear me say that those things might not be necessary. I'll share that in just a minute. But when we only see them as flesh and blood, then we're only going to seek a solution that is flesh and blood. But he says, we do not fight that way, but against evil rulers and authorities in unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirit in heavenly places. I want you to just, I want you to have the right understanding of this table. I want you to see it for what it's meant to be. It's an invitation from your king, from your shepherd, to have communion with him. And quite honestly, you know, I mean, I like the bacon and the pastries, and that cake looks amazing. But honestly, it's not really about what's on the table. It's about who's at the table that makes this table so significant. And the table, this relationship, this table is for God's glory and for your good in that order. It's for God's glory. Right? You remember the psalmist? He said, you know, I get the still waters. I get the restoration. I get the renewal. I get the promises. I get the protection. Why? For his good or for his glory because he's awesome. For his name's sake, I get all these things. But it's also the benefit that we receive by being in relationship with our Heavenly Father, by having that close-with-me relationship that we get to experience together. It's, it's for his glory, yes, but we get the benefit. It's for our good. This table has to remain that way in order for you to begin to win the war in your mind, for you to begin to have conversations because you will have people, trusted people, that may, that may need to come and be a part of the table with you. Trusted individuals, you may have friends, you may have a spouse, right? You may have adult children that you trust that are for his glory and for your good that need to be a part of the conversation sometimes, right? They need to be a part of how you see and operate in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your problems. They need to be a part of that. You don't need the one from work that's chatter, chatter, chatter. Yeah, you deserve to be happy. You deserve a better man, right? You don't don't need that. You don't need your mother-in-law. You don't need her. That's not true across the board. You understand? All right. So just saying, you don't, you don't need that, right? You need people that are for his glory and for your good. And so then you can have, you can have a psychologist at the table as long as they're pointing you to him and it's for your good, right? You can have uh, doctors, your family doctors at the table. You may have uh, solutions to, to physical ailments, to things that, that, that are there. Uh, as a matter of fact, I loved it this week. One of our partners... At Journey, many of you guys do this in November. One of our partners at Journey was sort of, it was the, you know, the days of thankfulness. You guys ever do this? Where they're, you're, you know, day number nine, I thank God for this. Day number 10, I, I thank God for this. Well, this was awesome. I, 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 and I wrote her and I said, I'm totally using this on Sunday, right? Because this, this was her thankfulness, day nine. I kind of shortened it. For Cymbalta and the other myriad of meds I take daily to live my life. Today, instead of cursing the meds or silently resenting them, I will honor them as an invaluable partner they are in the life I have and will continue to make. See, now I read this and I know this person, so I, I automatically know that their heart's in the right place. They're not putting their trust in medicine. 
They don't put their trust in, in medicine to, to, to solve the problem. But medicine's a part of the story because of some of the issues that they have. I take medicine. I have an antidepressant, the Prozac that I take. I take a, a, a mild dose of that because of issues that I had five years ago with a heart issue. And, and, and at best, I had family and close friends and loved ones that came around and said, you know, there's, there's issues that may need help that you may need to address with, you know, that wasn't an issue of prayer. It wasn't an issue of faith. It wasn't an issue of, of me at the table. So it became part of the table. It became part of that. And as long as I, you know, filter that, as long as I make sure that I'm working, that this table is a part of for his glory and it's for actually my good, I can invite those people, I can invite the process into the table. And I have to filter everything else out. I have got to eject and filter everything else from the table. You have the power in this moment especially when you have locked eyes with the shepherd. Hebrews says, I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. You have the power of the king to eject the enemy from your table. You're not going to eject yourself from your depression. Everybody with me? You're not going to eject yourself from the trouble and the struggle that you have, but you most certainly have the power to eject the enemy from your table, to reject the lies and the whispers of the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, let me give you two verses and then some practical way in which you can apply this. This is from Paul's, again, letter to the, to the church in Corinth. He says, nope, it's wrong. It is still the letter in Corinth. Bam. Okay, good. I'm in the right spot. He says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. This is, again, kind of an amplification of what we've already been reading. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, we have a divine power to demolish strongholds. We have a divine power to demolish the strongholds that are in our lives. That's that power to eject the enemy and to not give him a seat at your table, to win the war in your mind. How's he say that? Well, we demolish arguments, lies, things that he's trying to convince us of, and every pretense. You know what a pretense is? It's like a legal agreement. It's like a, it's like a contract. It's an agreement, a pretense right? That's, we, we reject every pretense, false agreement that does not align with the Word of God. That's, we set it up, sorry, we have to set it up against the knowledge of God, what we know to be true, what we know about our shepherd, what we know about our king, and we take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. It's about rejecting the lie, yes, but it's also about filling us with the truth. We have to go to the truth of the Word of God and fix our eyes on Him and fix our thoughts on Him and have the truth of the Word of God in us so that we can have and, and experience the battle that we are having in our mind, the, the way we view and understand our mental illness and our emotional struggles and health. Matter of fact, he says it this way. Paul says it to the church in Philippi, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent 
and worthy of praise. And I don't know about you. I can't find this on Facebook. I've looked. No, you can't. It's not on Snapchat. It's not on TikTok. It's not there. But it is in his word. It is in the Holy Spirit who indwells us if you've made him your shepherd. And he reminds you of the truth of what you read. He reminds you of the truth that you've been exposed to. And so here's a simple illustration. This is, comes from the book as well, where you can begin to work through winning the war in your mind. I'll give it to you quickly. I want you to put down the lie, and then I want you to mark it out, and I want you to write and speak out the truth. So I'm going to give you a personal example for me. This is, I have a wonderful counselor. I don't know if she's here today or not. She's one of the uh, folks that meets here at our church. We have great counselors and therapists who meet at our building, and we can recommend you to them. But I have a wonderful counselor I meet with a couple times a month that makes me work through some of the hard stuff that I don't enjoy working through. Hear me. It's not that I can't work through it, but I'm a very stubborn person, and if I don't want to work through it, I don't want to work through it. Y'all with me? So I have to pay someone to help me work through it because I lack discipline and I love having that trusted relationship of someone who points me to the shepherd, who points me to the king and is working for my good. But here's, here's just, here's something I was struggling with. You just write it down on a piece of journal page or whatever the case is. And, and this was, this was the, this was the soundtrack, you know, this was the voice that I am broken and I can't fix it. And so much of it feels out of my control. That even things that I try don't seem to work. And, 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 and if you can't hear it, it's just despair. I'm broken. I can't fix it. And so much of this is out of my control. And this was the, this was the echoing whisper of the enemy at my table. And so there's a way in which you just write this down and then you exit out because it's not true. At no point have I looked across the table and seen the face of Jesus look at me and say, you're broken. And it's all out of your control and I don't think you're going to make it because everyone's against you. That doesn't come from him. When I look at his word, when I know it's true about my king, when I know it's true about God, and I hold those thoughts captive and hold them up to make them obedience to Christ, I have to look and I can write down, no, I'm chosen. And he's able. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and who gives me strength. That's what the truth tells me. I, I can't, I know, but he can He's able, and he's chosen me for something. If you don't remember anything else today, as I get ready to wrap it up, guys, I, have to, I had to write this down for me, just so you know. My illness is never my identity. My identity is in Jesus Christ. So my trouble and my sorrow and my depression, and my anxiety, and my fear, and my worry, and my autoimmune disease, and my cancer, and my lifelong struggle with this organ and this chemical imbalance does not define me. 
I find my identity in my heavenly father. Right? This, this has to come, this only comes, you only believe this is true when you have a seat at the table with your shepherd. When you are truly beginning to enjoy that relationship and that feast that he's given you. It is not my identity. Because see, the enemy will come and want me to, to, he'll remind me of all the ways in which I screw up. He'll remind me in all the ways in which I fail. He'll remind me of all the past experiences that he wants to define me as. He wants to define me by my scars. But I find my identity in his scars. Because the moment I put my trust and faith in him and surrendered my life to the shepherd who lays his life down for me, I became a son and a daughter. That's who we are. I became a son of God. We are sons and daughters of God. Now listen, this is the only way the rest of the psalm makes any sense. Okay? So you have this little poem from David who's expressing a, a short synopsis of, of life with, with his shepherd. And he talks about the table, and it's there in the presence of his enemies. He says, the table is here, and it's in the presence of my enemies. Go to the scripture. He says, and, but, but God, that's where you honor me. Because it's not because of me that the table exists, it's because of you. So you honor me, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows with what? Blessing. Yeah, here's the blessing. Here, Dan, here's an orange. Here they go. Oh, yeah, how about that? You know, here, Corbett. Look at that. Just give them all away. Here you go. Who wants a blessing? Who wants an orange? All serious. Here you go, Lynn. There you go. All right. Yeah, I don't want to kill anybody. Here we go, Ken. All right, there you go. Yeah. What does it mean? It means that all of this is for me, but all of this is not just for me. This relationship overflows in the presence of my enemies. It overflows, and people get to see my life because there's a testimony to this. The testimony is, is that, yes, Matt, are you worried that people know you have a counselor? Are you worried that you, know, that you take medicine for depression from an imbalance that you feel like happened a few years ago? And you say, Matt, are you worried about that? No, I'm not worried about that because I don't really like you. <laughs> and you're not a voice at my table. No, the reason it doesn't bother me is because it's evermore the testimony that my life is filled with the joy of my relationship with God. And he doesn't need me physically, emotionally, or mentally at my best to do his best work through me. He doesn't need that. So my cup overflows. And then what does he say? He says, surely goodness and unfailing love is going to pursue me all the days of my life. All the good days, all the bad days, all the, all the high days and all the low days. He's going to pursue me. This relationship is a never-ending pursuit of the shepherd with his son and daughter. And because of that, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to have this relationship. I'm going to get to experience this presence. I'm going to get to experience the fullness of this relationship with God for the rest of my life, regardless of my anxiety, regardless of my illness, regardless of my emotional health. That's his promise. If you hear anything else today, just I want you to see the invitation that I would say a good portion of us are not spending any time at. Matter of fact, I'd love for you to come up at some point after the sermon and take a grape and a banana and 
take the cake. I'm not taking the cake. Somebody take the cake and the, ve- and the vegetables. I'm never taking the vegetables. So somebody take, just come up and take it. Why? Because I want you to have something that represents the invitation that you've been given into this beautiful feast, into this beautiful table with your shepherd and your king who has changed your life. And I understand that it's in the middle of some stuff that you really wish you didn't have to navigate. You really wish you didn't have to struggle against. But it does not mean that you don't have a shepherd who's providing for you, that is walking with you, that is pouring out his unfailing love to you, that you have the ability, even in the midst of that, for it to overflow with blessings to those around you, even to those who might be your enemy. Because you're going to experience this relationship forever. We're going to talk more about emotional health and some of the ways in which we can help ourselves and the way we can help others in the next couple weeks. I hope you come back for it. Let's pray. Father God, I just don't know if I can do any better than your word to describe the invitation that you've given us. But God, I just today, I want to I wanna echo to anyone in the room or anyone listening online that has yet to take a step of faith to make you their shepherd. I just would be remiss today, God, if I didn't offer it in this moment. So if there's anybody here if anybody's come in today, if anybody's found your way to this place today and you longing for a renewal, longing for a relationship with God, have never yet surrendered your life to him. I would like to do it right now. Would you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you and I'll pray with you. I want to pray with you right now and the rest of the church is going to pray with me for you and with you. Just very simple words. Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of your son, um, for laying your life down for the sheep, for offering yourself as a sacrifice for my sin. God, thank you so much for Jesus. And God, I want to surrender my life to you. I want you to be the shepherd of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for the invitation to the table. And Journey Church, our church, prays all this with you. And we all say in Jesus' name, amen.